All right. Welcome to the Data John podcast. We're still in um, lockdown during the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. So we we keep recording uh, data-related episodes, me and Patrick. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm still alive and kicking, which is good. Good. Um, so on today's episode, we ha- are interviewing Stacey uh, Schiller and Terry Lynn Palmer from the Delaware Health uh, Information Network. Stacey and Terry Lynn, how are you doing? Great, guys. Thanks for having us. Yes, we really appreciate well you here. Great, and I think uh, Terry Lynn, you're you're calling in from Florida, is that right? Yes, I am. Excellent. Well, that's a nice place to be locked down. It, <laughs> yes, it was a hardship. It was. It is. Yeah. Wow. Well, great. Um, well, I'll, I'll start it off just to tell a quick story. I was at a, um, and I've told this before, but um, I was at a doctor's office in Delaware at one point, and um, I asked. Uh, doctor, have you ever heard of this thing called the DIN? And um, I think his response was like, the, his first statement was, the DIN saves lives. And so um, uh, that's when I wanted to start to know it a little bit. Uh, and he was as genuine as they came. Um, so we're very, very fortunate to have um, you both here on the Data John podcast. Um, you're in Delaware, which is part of the Philadelphia region, and you provided a lot of great stuff here. Um, so, Stacy, I'd like to start out with you. If you could give us a little bit of background about uh, the DIN and, and so the history and where we are and, and how it came and uh, where you're going, that'd be great. Absolutely, Patrick. Happy to do so. Um, again, Stacy Schiller, I'm Director of External Affairs for the DIN. And um, for those who don't know us, um, the Delaware Health Information Network is Delaware's Health Information Exchange. We were stood up by the state of Delaware back in 2007. And we were stood up as the first statewide health information exchange in the nation. And with health information, what we and others are charged with doing is delivering and storing clinical results. And so when you have lab tests done or when your physician needs to call up your records from a hospital visit, et cetera, that information is made available through Delaware Health Information Network. We are statewide here in Delaware. All of our hospitals um, and most of the large labs and radiology facilities participate with us, but we also have a regional footprint now. We like to say that healthcare doesn't know state borders. And so we do indeed include patient data in our records from all or parts of six states and the District of Columbia which means we have more than 3 million patients from all 50 states included in our records. And that's because people travel, maybe not right now, but at other times. And so we know that it's important that their healthcare providers at home be able to access that information. And so we are always looking to partner with other states and other health information exchanges to promote interoperability and the sharing of those medical records. That's great. So, so walk me through, if I was to explain it to my son, um, mm-hmm. I go into a doctor, um, I get a procedure, and take it from there, or what happens? So typically the way that that works is you may have had a procedure, you may have had um, you know, blood work done or something like that. As soon as the what we call the data sending organization, whether it's the lab, whether it's the hospital, finishes that service and uploads the results, those results are delivered through our channels. And so when you think about explaining this to folks who don't live and breathe <laughs> health, the healthcare community, so especially when we're talking to, to folks who are just like all of us patients or consumers, think of it like a wheel and us being the hub. And so 
all of that information comes into our hub and we then channel it through the spokes of the wheel to the receiving organization. So let's say you have lab work done. Not only does your primary care physician need it, but let's say that you also see a specialist who has requested to see it. We make sure then that that information gets to both of those physicians and that it's contained in our patient repository, which is referred to as the community health record. That is a queryable database where a practitioner has to be somebody who has a demonstrated need to know and access to the system, is able to call up your records and see at a glance, let's say, Patrick, you're in the, you're in the ER or you've had to go to an urgent care facility. If they participate with DIN, they are able to call up your information in the community health record and see, oh, wait, he has an allergy to this, or he was recently seen for this issue. And again, it's a way that we continue to help share information to deliver better health care in a more timely and efficient manner. And so uh, that's why I'm guessing it's life-saving. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have some stories of, of, you know, physicians and other folks who have come to us and said, thanks to the availability of these records through DIN, I was able to make a life-saving decision. And it's so important in today's mobile environment that we have at our fingertips access to that information for all of us who are traveling around, living our lives, and being seen in multiple states by multiple providers. And so I, I guess it, it, it's such an important resource, but even now, today, with what's going on with COVID and the pandemic and this um, global changing environment, has, has it had an effect on you all as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, first and foremost, as an employer, of course, we, um, we employ, oh gosh, uh, about 36 people um, across the state and like Terry Lynn and others, some who are um, remote employees from other parts of the country. And so certainly as an employer, we have been very attuned to what's happening and making sure that the safety of our employees is, is our top priority. But we have been able to leverage um, our data and our resources to assist the state of Delaware in its response to the COVID-19 crisis. Um, So just a couple of examples that I think your data groups will really like. Um, Number one is I referenced earlier that, um, you know, the clinical data that we have access to, we do not own. It belongs to those data sending organizations. We are the means by which that information is transferred and transmitted. But one of the things that we have been able to do is to go to those data sending organizations and ask for their permission to, at an aggregate level, use that data to help the Division of Public Health here in Delaware look at heat maps, areas where COVID is making a huge impact and areas where additional resources may be needed to help to fight that there. And so being able to create those heat maps and to be able to use our data to help determine Delaware's response has been key. Um, A second example that I want to share that's um, also been very critical is we were able to um, enrich the data that the state was using um, with key demographic information. And so 
one of the roles that DIN has played with COVID-19 is delivering those positive test results and negative to the state on behalf of the data centers, just like we do with all other syndromic surveillance work that happens here in the state. As a result of that, some of the demographic information that the state needed to be able to address what's going on with COVID was missing. Um, And there are several reasons for that. And Terry Lynn, as a data scientist, can certainly speak to how that can sometimes happen. But essentially, the state came to us and said, gosh, guys, we could really use your help. We're missing some ethnicity and race information that would be critical to our efforts. So here at DIN, we were able to go through our records and enrich that test data with that information to make it more useful to the state of Delaware. So those are two ways in which our data to date has been used by the state in helping to combat COVID. Well, that's super awesome. I know um, from conversations with other data scientists at different health um, institutions that that kind of data is so much more reliable than any other data that's out there and can really help improve predictions and looking and understanding where the um, where the the spread is happening mm-hmm. and where the most help is needed. Um, so that's really, really incredible. Um, so Terry Lynn, uh, you're the director of data and analytics with the DIN. So I want to ask you about the work that you're involved in, whether that be around COVID or just more generally. What kind? What are you working on? Well, thank you very much for having me here. Um, DIN is receiving claims data from insurers of Delaware residents. Uh, this was brought about by Delaware legislation uh, in 2017 and again in 2018, and it's to gather the um, Medicare, Medicaid, commercial insurance data in one data repository that is usable by the state and others uh, to, to start uh, and to assist with the Delaware's triple aim initiatives. And the triple aim being uh, to improve the quality of healthcare, to uh, reduce the costs in healthcare, and to improve the patient experience. So that's the triple aim uh, piece. And it's also uh, another reason for establishing this claims database at DIN is to improve healthcare transparency. So so that's, that's a big one. And um, it's, it's also one that we're going to walk slowly towards. So in our database that we have from the claims, we have about 60% of the insured individuals in Delaware. Um, there's, there's another 30% persons who are insured by insurance companies that are protected under federal rules that they don't have to send us the data. Um, And we also have um, about 7% of Delawareans that are uninsured. So so roughly 40% of persons are not in our database. But to speak to the 60%, that is a strong number for doing studies related to healthcare in the state of Delaware. I'm going to um, share a little bit about uh, the technology that we use to do this. Uh, so the, the technology is we're, we're using cloud technology. And as you can imagine, we would need to do that because of the amount of data. Mm-hmm. Right now, we have um, five years of data in our database and 43 million claims. 
So it starts adding up. Um, and when I say 43 million claims, that's not 43 million records. As, as you can imagine, there's many records or many line items for any one particular claim. So um, it's, it's a lot of data. So we use the cloud technology. We use couch-based tools. And for our front end of uh, doing some analytics with these data, we're primarily using Google and Tableau, some, some easy-to-use tools. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that the data is coming from lots of different electronic medical records and systems. Is it, um, is it, can you talk a little bit about the challenge of working with the data? I know that health records and claims data are notoriously difficult to work with across over across time because things change constantly and doctors record things differently. How are, how are you and your team kind of dealing with those things? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because that really is the nuts and bolts of what DIN is doing with the claims data. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, claims data were designed for paying providers. They're not designed for doing analytics. Uh, okay. So so we do utilize a uh, specification data submission guide um, that all each of the payers uh, take their data and fit it into that particular specification file format and send us the data. And even doing that, there's quite a lot of data validation uh, processes that we do. Um, you know, checking all the dates, checking, checking the formats of the fields, the code sets that are used. So uh, something as simple as what was the discharge status from this particular claim? Um, each of the hospitals have different codes for those discharge status. Did they use the codes that we provided to them so that if the person went home, it actually uses the code for home, so on and so forth. So we, we do about four weeks, actually, of data analysis with each payer's data as it comes in the door. And so the data come into us monthly. It's about a 30-day lag from when the actual bill activity occurred. Then we have the next 30 days to review and validate that data, go back and forth with the payer on anomalies, and then come up with the final product that gets put into what we're calling our production analytic environment. And so then the production data are used for uh, doing analysis, creating public reports, and providing extract to our data requesters. Awesome. So I want to just shift gear and talk about your data requesters or your public reports. So we've um, talked to a lot of uh, citizen data scientists, people working with public data, um, and some of them have worked hard on different projects. Um, one group um, working with Penn Medicine uh, has built a, a model they call Chime. Um, we talked to them about forecasting COVID-19 um, cases or hospitalizations. And I'm wondering how, if at all, the public or um, could access the claims data, if you think that there's any value to that. Um, I know, you know, they can submit it uh, at tickets, but have you seen that kind of work or is most of the work with being done in by academics? Uh, how is the public use, utilizing this? Are they utilizing it? And how do you think they could utilize it? Well, I'm going to start by saying I love the idea of citizen scientists and making data available in a forum like that. Um, it does coincide with our purpose to improve healthcare transparency. 
Um, but it's we're we're not at this point yet. Um, we we have um, quite a bit of one data enhancements to perform as along with that data validation and and making sure that um, you know all the code sets are similar so that anybody general from the public is accessing the data, that they're all seeing it in the same way. We have a number of other types of data enhancements that we need to do um, so that everybody counts episodes the same way, counts yeah. ED visits the same way. Um, you know, so there's there's that work that needs to be done. And um, the method by which we're using or developing uh, for folks who have approved access to the data is we're going to be developing uh, licensed portals to the data. And these licensed portals help keep um, our privacy and security intact. Uh, it also enables us to feed a particular portal with data that is just for that particular assignment that is designed for what was approved to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and those data portals then can be accessed through a licensed product. Right now, our, um, our portals that we're developing are to very quickly get the state up and running and getting access to the data uh, as our first priority for customers. Um, so making it available to the general public is, is down the road. To our scientists, for example, um, a licensed portal would be uh, useful for, say, like a university who mm -hmm. has a number of students that have studies. Those studies can be approved through our committee process. And then the University of Delaware is the responsible party overseeing that student with access to that data. So that's that's kind of my first, the closest thing I could get to a public portal for um, data scientists right now. That's that's excellent. Um, so uh, one last question. So are you doing any modeling on the data? And if so, uh, what kind of modeling are you doing? Or is that kind of still next steps uh, for the project? Well, I would say it's it's more next steps, but even more importantly, it because DIN is spending its its resources, cleaning data and making sure it's all functional and usable for analytics, I, I really do foresee that the modeling and the data scientists will come from the community, whether from uh, educational institutions or community at large or the state of Delaware, that the that data scientist is going to be the requester of the data. Um, yeah. We do have um, a doctor and um, on on staff and a data analyst and scientist on staff to do these types of things. Um, but in order to get out there faster, it's can we make the data available to others? So I'd like to share possibly some studies that have been done. Um, so. The CDC is conducting um, a feasibility study on using claims data for their, uh, say, environmental impact studies. Um, the, the state of Delaware and their public health department was looking at uh, HPV vaccination rates. Uh, the 
Um, they were also taking a look at lung cancer and the costs of lung cancer. Um, and by the way, this brings up a huge point about the claims database as compared to the clinical data, is that the claims database enables one to take the cost of quality healthcare to see, well, what value are we getting out of delivering healthcare in this matter? So we, we keep track of uh, lung cancer and a cancer registry, and, and we have lots of information related to the clinical aspects of lung cancer. But this claims data that they're now applying to that cancer registry applies the costs. What, how much does it cost for stage one, stage two, and so forth for the lung cancer? Um, we've also done some uh, studies looking at the costs of primary care in the state of Delaware. Um, and not just how much does it cost, but how much are the providers being paid for, um, and I don't mean individual providers, I mean primary care in general, as compared to, say, what percentage of the healthcare dollar goes to primary care initiatives versus the emergency department or, or some other kind of healthcare. Um, so as we do the healthcare reform and we try to get primary care to be the, the first point of care for individuals rather than going to the emergency departments, uh, doing a primary care cost study would be important. That would be uh, fascinating. I can imagine that, um, you know, a lot of different health uh, healthcare groups or groups advocating would be really interested in knowing, um, doing those kinds of analysis, especially across, uh, even though it's a small state, but an entire state, um, and knowing where, you know, where you can see how it might impact different communities differently and understanding, you know, where maybe, um, where costs are different and how they uh, affect outcomes differently. So that's a really fascinating and super cool that you guys are already doing that. I, I also want to share another one that's just emerging now is um, it, it, because it's a, a very specific population. It's for those with brain trauma. And so even keeping the data de-identified, we can take a look at how brain trauma is managed throughout the state of Delaware. There, there have been some concerns that, okay, if you have brain trauma today, are you getting the follow-up care that you need? Because mm. brain trauma tends to have quite a lot of other comid, comorbid uh, concerns. There's depression that follows. That's an easy one. Sometimes it, it, it changes your ability to manage your rage. There's, it, it puts you in a, a vulnerable position for substance abuse. So there's there's quite a lot of things that might happen with a person with brain trauma. Um, so they're looking at, well, do we have the right care at the right time for the person who needs it? And do we have that follow-up care available? Or do they have to travel to Pennsylvania to go get that follow-up care? So how equitable are our services here in Delaware related to brain trauma injuries? This is great. Terry Lynn, um... I learn something new every time I speak with you um, <laughs> and your team. And, uh, you know, what's, what's exciting is, just as we always have known, this has been a great resource for years. I think the time is coming where it becomes an even more needed and useful resource in the future, especially as data science becomes prevalent. And, and um, it, it does sound like a data engineer's dream uh, to be there as well. <laughs> 
Stacy, just switching to you real quick. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to take us. Where is this going? Where's what's the future um, five years from now, or what do you see it as we expand into the region as well? That's a great question, Patrick. And like a lot of folks, we don't know what the future holds in terms of um, external factors, but we are planning in the next fiscal year to embark on our next five-year strategic plan and um, expansion and growth of our data analytics services is a key component to that. We very much value the role that we're playing in Delaware's health healthcare ecosystem, but certainly look as the federal environment towards interoperability and making data available to people who need it. We want to make sure that we're a part of that conversation and that movement. And so continuing to partner with other health information exchanges, continuing to have conversations with other resources that are also moving in the interoperability world will be tremendously helpful. I want to also say that right now we are seeing our data not only being used in the ways that, you know, Terry Lynn is talking about with some of the reporting that we're doing, but we also just saw an example with Governor Carney here in Delaware referencing our data as it relates to um, a daily report of new hospital admissions related to COVID. And so while we have done so much work behind the scenes, it's nice to also be able to see DIN and the data that all of the data centers here in Delaware have, have been sending play a real role in the questions about reopening our state and when we have reached the point of that 14-day run of declining numbers of new admissions. It's important that we continue to be able to help support those types of conversations and those types of decisions. And so right now, we're very busy with that type of data analysis. But the bigger picture is how can data help transform healthcare? And what you're hearing about from Terry Lynn with our claims database, as well as the ability down the road, hopefully, to do more with clinical data at an aggregate level, we really have the ability to inform healthcare decision-making like never before. Fantastic. This has um, been really enlightening. Again, I, I learn something new every time. Um, uh, my mom used to have a saying that sometimes you, if you want to get somewhere, um, you just go, or sometimes someone takes your hat, throws it over the fence, and you figure out how to get it. <laughs> and I think this whole COVID thing has, has definitely shined the light on the needed um, resource that you have here. Um, for again, for the Philadelphia and Delaware region. Uh, so we're very much appreciative uh, for having you on. Thank you very much, Terry Lynn and Stacy, for being here. We're looking forward to doing another follow-up sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much for hosting us. Yes, thank you.